Welcome to the DeCesare Group Podcast, your go-to source for the latest economic development and business news in South Central Kentucky. This is the first and only podcast to engage in the insightful discussions with key individuals and decision makers about the region's dynamic economy and thriving business landscape. I'm your host, Jim DeCesare. Now, in this week's episode of the DeCesare Group Podcast, we are thrilled to welcome enthusiastic Bowling Green advocate and WKU alum, Talia Butler. I'll share, I'll share more about Talia in just a few moments. I want to remind you that at the DeCesare Group, we are dedicated to offering comprehensive business consulting and development and public relations services. Our mission is simple yet powerful to provide business solutions and strategies to entrepreneurs and businesses so they can succeed and grow. And as an extension of our commitment to keeping you informed, the DeCesare Group podcast complements our newsletter, Soki Economic Development and Business News, Make sure to sub- subscribe on our website, thedecesarygroup.com, or connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Now to this week's episode of the DeCesare Group podcast. We are thrilled to have the incredible Talia Butler with us. A true Bowling Green enthusiast, Talia is passionate advocate for her hometown of Bowling Green, Kentucky. She holds degrees in news, editorial journalism, and history from WKU, and her love for reading, writing, and sharing the BG story is evident in all that she does. Talia's dedication and accomplishments have earned her the prestigious title of Kentucky Colonel, along with being named one of Bowling Green's 40 Under 40 by VIP Bowling Green Magazine in 2020. Her expertise spans a wide range of areas, including tourism and hotel sales management and marketing, strategic networking, media relations, and historical analysis and storytelling. Talia Butler is the first ever downtown development division head for the city of Bowling Green and was instrumental in establishing Fountain Row as the city's entertainment destination center in 2022. I got that out. Here's my conversation with Talia Butler. All right, Talia. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Jim. Well, we're excited to have a broadcast professional like yourself here with us. Professional broadcast. <laughs> oh, that's a loose term for me, but thank you. Well, the, I, I guess you, you, you did some stuff. Did you do any like recording or video when you were what, hanging out with the Map Dot people? A little bit. Corey did most of the the talking for oh, yeah, us. He's I, an old was, radio guy too. Yeah, so. he, I was just more for for the photos for him. He did most you. of the talking there. Yeah. All right. Well, hey. So you have this new role with the city. So tell us about your journey and how you became involved in this this really a crucial role for the city's growth and revitalization of, of the downtown area specifically. Thank you. Thank you. This this has been a uh, long journey over the past maybe 10 to 12 years mm-hmm. uh, in my life. I, when I was growing up in college, I thought I was going to be a journalist. I have a news ed degree and a history degree from WKU. Go Tops. Happy yep. alum here. Yeah, we got a few <laughs> sitting around here, too. I, I love it. We... Uh, we spent a lot of time um, when I was in college working on the Herald paper and on the Talisman staff for all of those years. And I wanted to do something that was involving storytelling, right? And I even had the pleasure of working uh, with your wife in the public affairs office for the, um, I think it was my junior year of summer. Okay. I, I worked directly more with Bob Skipper and Tommy Newton. Skipper Bob. Skipper Bob. I'm so sorry. Yeah, yes. Skipper right. Bob, get it right. And they let me write um, some WKU news stories okay. for them that summer. It was a great time. And they do a great work up there. And, yes. And you can catch all their stuff at WKU News. Yes. So anyhow. Plug plug for them. So that's that was uh, th- th- one th- of th- the stepping stones. 
back don't. end. Yeah. Yes. And I'm a Bowling Green native. I've born and raised here. My family's got a farm out in the Alberton area. We've been there since about 1830 that we can track. So we're very deeply rooted in Bowling Green. We okay. love where we live. And I've always wanted to be the storyteller. And after after college, my first uh, big internship right after graduation was at Lost River Cave here in Bowling Green. Okay. I was hired to help them launch their Scarecrow Trail, which is now their you know big favorite fall event of the year. Right. And also do their PR and marketing for them. And that's where I learned about tourism and hospitality in Bowling Green. I had no idea, just like most locals don't explore their hometowns mm-hmm. or where they live as a tourist. I had never been to many of the Bowling Green attractions. Whenever you think going on vacation somewhere, you exit yeah. <laughs> wherever you live. You're There's not, a lot of cool stuff right, around here. Locals can be tourists in their own hometowns. Right. And um, I learned that very quickly and I fell in love with it. So after my internship at the cave ended, I had the opportunity to go do PR for the Bowling Green Convention and Visitors Bureau office. And I fell in love with telling Bowling Green stories. This was not necessarily the magazine or the newspaper or broadcast that I thought I was going to do in college, but it turned into an opportunity to pitch Bowling Green stories to media, local, regional, national media. I got the pleasure of traveling to New York City, Chicago, Atlanta, meeting with these big time journalists from Hearst, Chicago Tribune, all these outlets, just pitching Bowling Green stories with Kentucky tourism. And it was, I didn't even know a job like that existed in college. Where, where were the classes on that? Sometimes (laughs) you, you you know, you get out and you, you grab a role and you, you, you make it more than what it is. That's you know. that's what I feel like I've I've been doing with all the roles sure. that that I've been blessed Make and, and honored with. Yes, <laughs> yes. Well, this was the first time the Bowling Green Visitors Bureau had really jumped on that opportunity to do that kind of PR and working with you know national PR agencies and media. Mm-hmm. And that's where I also started telling the Bowling Green tourism story locally to let locals know how important these attractions are to our community and our way of life because many folks don't out there uh, many folks out there don't realize that these um, these people that come in from out of town they drop their money in our economy they they go to dinner they go to an attraction they go to a facility or a show and they go to a hotel and spend the night and all that money stays here right and even the um, the hotel taxes are reinvested back into our economy through some special projects like aviation heritage park or improving the butterfly habitat or creating the motorsports park uh, first uh, first Phase, all those kind of things add to our own quality of life, and they improve all the things that we can do here that while we live. And, That's right. um, and not have to go somewhere else to do them. Yes, yes. In this downtown development position, I've had the pleasure of looking at all these amenities Bowling Green's got and saying, okay, when you leave Bowling Green to go to Nashville or Louisville or Cincinnati or wherever, uh, why are you leaving and what are you doing and what can we bring here so that you don't have to go up there or down there all over? different times that's so right. that's the the downtown uh, vision is creating a environment and being a catalyst to attract those types of businesses attract new talent it's workforce development and quality of life and you know after after spending several years at the visitors bureau i had the opportunity to do sales and marketing for the marriott franchise hotels in bowling green to mm-hmm. see aside from the the leisure piece of tourism there's also the business piece those monday to friday 
Friday, business travelers that are in town for all the manufacturing facilities, all of our business facilities. There's all kinds of business travelers that kind of hide. When you're going out to dinner in Bowling Green on a Tuesday or Wednesday night, you don't yeah. realize people from out of town are sitting there dining with you because yeah, they, yeah, they you just blend be into the natural environment most of the time. You may be sitting next to the CEO of Kobe Aluminum. Or, Correct. You know, and, and you know, fortunately, I know some of these people and I see them when they come to town, but they just sort of blend in. Yes. And, or, uh, but they're spending right, money. Right. Yeah. And you have some of these people staying one, two, three, four months at a time. Mm-hmm. You've got engineers working on the latest Japanese items or all these architects coming in to work on the Tyson plant or, 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 or. And um, I had the chance to learn kind of that other side of hospitality that I didn't get to see yeah. from the leisure side. And combining that uh, tourism marketing experience, destination promotion experience. The city of Bowling Green had for several years uh, been doing some marketing research with the county and the chamber, uh, trying to figure out what elements of downtown needed to be worked on, who should be the one kind of putting all this together and one of the questions with the research marketing firm that they uh they used here a few years ago was well who is out there reaching out to the corvette museum or beach bend asking all of those groups of people that have their events at those locations to come explore downtown while they're here and spend some more money or maybe stay another night or come a night early right and no one was really doing it for any of the downtown space in that capacity. And so I had the uh, pleasure of being appointed to this position in December of 2021. And my first day on the job was Monday after the tornadoes hit. No. So I did not get to do downtown development for several, several months sure. after that. The uh, the city defines downtown development as uh, trying to, like I said, create this environment and be a catalyst, not just for attracting the businesses and the talent, but also for attracting new events and maybe adding on to existing events, creating better connections to them, both internally with all those different downtown stakeholders and businesses and bringing more of Bowling Green to downtown. Like the Corvette Museum is now using Skypack for their um, annual Hall of Fame induction ceremony. They're also taking over downtown during Corvette Caravan next summer for the 30th anniversary of the museum. Things, things like that. Sure. So, yeah. And that's awesome. And they're... (laughs) There are new things uh, coming to town. Eventually, we've got the uh, the park down by the river. That's yes. uh, that's you know in the process of getting underway. There's a, I guess a, a, I don't know if it's a study, but it's a master planning is going on for that right now. Yes, that's actually being headed up by the department that I am uh, falling under. It's Neighborhood and Community Services who is mm-hmm. putting that together, and we're we're kind of the junk drawer of city government. We lovingly like to call ourselves that because we are all of the utilities in your kitchen drawer. That one drawer where you have all these little. I need knick-knacks. that little flashlight. Yes, <laughs> yes, we are very important. We're resourceful. We just don't necessarily belong at police or fire right. or public works or parks. You know, we've got code compliance and animal uh, animal protection and uh, codes and electrical and grants and myself and inter- our international community liaison falls in there, too. And it's just all these great folks. And for the Riverfront Park specifically, uh, the city has been waiting patiently since pre-COVID mm-hmm. for some of the funding to roll in for this. This is not all city go- tax dollars going toward it. Yeah. And we're talking about the area along the Riverfront uh, Park, 
uh, downtown next to uh, the Barren River. And there is a section of that park that is a county and a bigger section that is the city with us. And together, we're working with the county on these projects and ideas. So it's on the north side of the bypass on, uh, as you go over the bridge, on each side of the bridge. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's already trails there where people are biking yes. and hiking yes. and all that fun stuff. Mm-hmm. And then there's what's big, coming next. What's coming next. Yeah. So what, what I can say is we are in the middle of the public input comment period. We've right. had a couple of different ways that we've explored in doing that so far. So the, the idea for this park is to um, expand on what we already offer when it comes to those trails. It's not just for the adventure enthusiasts. Like you said, we have the walking trails and the biking trails and mountain bike trails. But right now, as it stands, if you were a mom of three and had a stroller, you probably would not feel comfortable driving down there and in the evening and just going for a stroll. And our vision is to create an environment and space that you feel safe in which to do so. We've already worked on some extra paved trails down there and we've added some lights down there already, but it's nowhere near complete. But the idea is to make it more of a a natural kind of outdoor recreational park that has these little amenities that if you're not a nature lover or an outdoor enthusiast, you can still feel comfortable. Yes. Yes. And there's an opportunity for, um, some, some river pieces to that, Mm -hmm. some rafting pieces, some bouldering kind of rock climbing pieces. And we've got, um, another one of our public input sessions coming at the last concert in the park in August. We will have that evening at concert in the park, what we like to call the dot democracy, which okay. is all of these images of potential things that could go in the park. And you're given some little dot stickers and you put the stickers on what you would like to see most. Oh, cool. And that's, it's an interactive thing. Yeah. Well, don't forget the first concert in the park in September. Uh, there's a really good band coming. So just saying. <laughs> Just saying, the, yes. The disorderly, disorderly <laughs> conduct. So anyhow, so let's talk about Fountain Row. Yes. Because yes, yes. Um, it, you know, the long history of, of Bowling Green entertainment destination. Whether you know it or not, there's always been something happening down on Fountain Row. Yes. And, and so there's a, a new designation, uh, the uh, establishment down there, and of course you you may have seen if you if you've been downtown seen the the signage with the the fountain row logo and even on light poles on uh garbage cans uh you know it's placemaking it's It's placemaking yes so tell us about fountain row okay so uh, let's let's start with uh what is a an entertainment destination center in Kentucky. It sounds like a boring name. No one wants to call this an entertainment destination center. But legally, in 2016, the Kentucky legislature passed uh, allowing for municipalities like us to apply for a license that will give patrons the chance to get a to-go alcoholic beverage from a participating bar or restaurant within a certain space. I may have voted for that piece of legislation. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Well, it's a real boost to our hospitality businesses in the downtown space. But so all cities now can designate a specific area at Bounded uh, through their GIS system that will allow you to 
buy a drink to go in an approved cup and then carry it around that public space. And the idea is to boost these hospitality businesses, like I mentioned, but to also be an environment that creates more opportunities for those to pop up, more opportunities for outdoor events or in addition to existing outdoor events. So back last summer, July of 2022 was when ours launched officially. It went through uh, multiple city commission meetings and public info sessions. We had multiple conversations with downtown bars and restaurants. We, t- we tried it out initially with just allowing you to get these to-go beverages from the bars and restaurants that participated on weekends only mm-hmm. last summer, that just Friday and Saturday. Those were the event days where most things were already happening downtown. And the, the area we're talking about here is the block that includes Circus Square and La Gala and Sky Pack and the ballpark uh, heading toward Fountain Square all the way up to Mellow Mushroom. Right. So it's it's several blocks long with this, but there's over a dozen bars and restaurants in there in that space right now. And you may not think that there is, but when you look at it from a, a bird's eye view, it's like, oh, I forgot this place. Oh, and here and here and here. And we're adding new ones yeah. a- as they come to downtown. And and you go to a lot, especially, uh, you know, places that are that are known for tourism. Uh, this is this has been allowed in other parts of the country for a long time. Yes. And, uh, you know, and I know personally from from being involved in, in government and being involved with the local entertainment community that uh, that question has come up. Why can't I just take this drink and go down to the cigar bar or go to, you know, over here to grab a sandwich or whatever, you know, so now you can. Now you can. <laughs> well, and it's um, it's not even it's one of those things where back in the public info session time last year, you would have thought the town was going to burn down the way that some people were so concerned well, it, about this. So I know you love history, <laughs> but it wasn't all that long ago, maybe 25 years ago, where you couldn't drink on Sundays. Bars mm-hmm. had to close at midnight mm-hmm. every night, you know, so it, it's been a slow progression. Yes. Uh, you know, and I, this, this is, you know, this isn't the... A hundred years ago, you know, so a lot of things have changed. Right. But go ahead. And Kentucky, um, Kentucky's been doing this for years. We were the 12th city to do it. We were already behind compared to some of these smaller communities. And we reached out to several of them asking how things were going. We reached out to other um, cities and states outside of us that were doing this, and they gave rave reviews for it. As a matter of fact, the the gentleman who um, is responsible for Goodwood Brewing coming to downtown was one of our key uh, research and development conversations that we had. He talked about the plastic cup being clear, the plastic cup being of a certain size, based on other cities that Goodwood is in that already had this activated. I got you. So we um, we ended up getting requests from the bars and restaurants to go daily. Very soon, our police department saw zero, zero calls come in for the first six months during that 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. time mm-hmm. when businesses could do this. And <laughs> in 2021, the public intoxication citation number was 357. And in 2022, it was 359. It went up by two. Went up by two. By two. But, so and if you, if you compare to that no population impact. growth, it's really probably a 
percentage wives, it's a decrease. Right, right. Yeah, there, there was <laughs> no impact the with this. Yeah, the town didn't burn down. We didn't turn into Bourbon Street and go crazy. People were responsible and businesses were responsible. And as of March of this year, we went from just weekends to daily. So okay. now there's over a dozen bars and restaurants downtown in Fountain Row. We call the space Fountain Row right. uh, because it is an entertainment district. It's an arts and entertainment district. And we've been encouraging the bars and restaurants that are down there holding events and venues hosting events to use the Fountain Row logo to establish that as a sense of place. It is a destination within itself. Yep. And so have you, um, since since this has been implemented, have you seen an, seen an increase in, um, you know, people coming downtown? I, I, was down, I was downtown the other day and I was thinking about this. You know, I, I, I was meeting somebody for lunch at Girard's and I'm driving around the square to, you know, hoping someone pulls out, you know, so I can find a parking spot. And finally I did. Um, but, you know, you go to a lot of towns now, especially towns that have the square, uh, like Bowling Green does and others. And, you know, a lot of the businesses are boarded up. They're closed up. They're, there's nothing going on. Uh, but, you know, golly, Bowling Green, downtown Bowling Green, it's hard to find a parking spot. Let's let's talk about that. Yeah. Let's talk about parking in downtown. Uh, if your downtown is the heart of your city, and it's the I'm saying heartbeat. that's a good thing. No, though. no, yes, it's a good thing. Yes, uh, we have developed a public parking map that right. shows you on our website over 1,200 free public parking spots that are available downtown within just a few blocks of one another in those right. main spaces. So if you can't find a spot on Fountain Square, good news, there's another 1,100 spots that are available for yeah, you. Yeah, you can yeah. go to the parking structure by exactly. the ballpark. Exactly, and it's free. Know. Those it's are all free. free, and public public lots like ours do not practice active towing. And that is something that a couple of pay lots that have opened up in downtown have been practicing, and they are compliant. They've got all the all the rules posted they're empty. it's they're empty <laughs> right yeah they're, they're empty but in that um, public parking map that we have we even designate those pay lots making sure you are aware if you choose to park here it is a pay lot yeah and you will be towed <laughs> well the point the point i was getting at is is when you when you walk around the square downtown yes. uh, there aren't yes. many empty I don't think any right now. It is any empty spaces. If there are, there's maybe one or two. It's it's the old Oddfellows building and Old Gerard's Hotel right there yeah. on Park Road. Yeah. They have new owners though, and yeah. there is hope. There is hope and light at the end of that tunnel as well. They've been vacant for years. Yeah. So you know the, the but other than that, I mean, you've yes. you got a ninety percent occupancy rate downtown. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can go to some other towns and you're not seeing that. Yeah. So it, it just you know it, it means the heart's beating. Downtown's the heart of the city. It's beating. And and it's not unusual to see license plates from other states. Yes. Where people are rolling through here because they're visiting the Corvette Museum or they're visiting Mammoth Cave National Park or they're going to Lost River Cave or they're, you know, here for a softball tournament, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, whatever it is, you know. So there's a lot of it. it, We have a very vibrant downtown. And one one of my goals is to connect with all those attractions even further and have them recommend coming downtown to do more and explore more in Bowling Green. So more of that coming soon, too. All right. So I know you're a history buff. I follow you on Facebook. I read just about everything you put out there because I like I enjoy reading about the history of the places that I live. And uh, I know we were talking about uh, before we started today, the, the hotel that the city, I think, has just purchased. Yes, yes. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, because I, I find it very interesting 
uh, because you, 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 you posted some pictures of a few little artifacts you have found inside the, the building, you know, mainly paper pieces that show the history of that facility. But we've, we, we have a, a really rich history here, and I'm going to elaborate even further in a moment. But tell us about the hotel. Sure, sure. So the, the Southern Queen is mm-hmm. the, was the hotel's name. It was in the historic Shake Rag district of downtown Bowling Green. And Shake Rag historically was one of Bowling Green's vibrant black neighborhoods. Right. It was the place to be. And the Southern Queen Hotel also functioned as a house for the Moses and Williams families. And it was directly across the street from the former State Street School gym. And after school, the kids would come across the street and get ice cream and snacks and sodas at the hotel from the little soda fountain. In and there. that's uh, the gym now is is that part of Capitol Window and Door or was it's it's right there in that area. Well, that space is. It's got a new private owner, okay. and they have got a lease out for a new tenant to come in and do some fun things to it. And nice. they haven't gone public yet, so I can't say what it okay. is. But it's it's going to be great for the area. You can tell us. It's nobody's nobody's listening. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the the Southern Queen herself, um, she was only an eight room hotel, um, not super big, but you know, cozy. She had her living room and her her big kitchen space, and she was listed in the Green Book mm-hmm. for published in 1937 it was the black traveler's guide for safe areas for blacks to stay when they traveled the country during a time when segregation and jim crow were still very much alive and there's a really good movie that depicts the green book if you it's called the green book i haven't even seen that you're kidding i, mean, I know all right I justin know. what's the guy's name do you know Ali. yeah he's the he's okay. the he's the star in it well, now I'm going to have to go watch this movie. Uh, oh, yeah, it's really good. Uh, the, 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 the hotel itself um, has allegedly been um, the, the place where Tina Turner or the Isley Brothers or Aretha Franklin have stayed when they have either played in Bowling Green decades and decades ago or just traveled through Bowling Green on their way to Nashville or Louisville. Yeah, because, you know, for the musician types, Bowling mm-hmm. Green was kind of the halfway point between New Orleans and Chicago. Correct, yes. And, and just like today, you know, we get a lot of what is called routing uh, shows uh, when when stars are on on the road and they have a couple nights off. That that what's the city in between the two cities we're playing in? Oh, it's Bowling it's Green. Bowling Green, yeah. You know, so whether it was at the, the old Quonset Hut or the old tobacco warehouses or at Lost River Cave, mm-hmm. you know, there there was always lots of great entertainment going on in Bowling Green. And that, that Shake Rag district has that rich history. And the, the family that uh, lived there most recently, uh, the last of them that was living in the home passed away in 2004. And the home has been vacant, uh, sitting empty, for almost 20 years now. And the family that had the ownership of it moved out of Bowling Green completely. One was in California. I forget where the other one was. But we we at the city noticed years and years and years you'd see, okay, look, there's a hole on the Southern Queen's roof. It looks like that's collapsing or it looks like that's going on. And it took years for our neighborhood and community services department to finally get these out-of-town owners to agree to sell the city this property and it was exactly a year ago it was july of 22 when the city was finally able to make the purchase and the the city's intent was to stabilize it so it wouldn't fall in on itself literally because it's hanging on by a thread yeah and then clear it out because everything was full of 
I don't want to call it junk because there was a lot of junk, but a lot, a lot of great artifacts like what you saw me post yeah. that represented a lot of items from the old State Street schools, the High Street school. You had the State Street Baptist Church. Uh, one of the family members that used to live there was uh, preaching at the church, and we found all kinds of his written sermons that had still survived. We saw um, Southern Queen Hotel stationery and business cards and the saddest thing was the log books. Mm-hmm. The log books were stored in a damp cellar type basement. And when we just tried to move them outside, crumbled, crumbled yeah. into pieces. So the world will never know exactly who all stayed, oh, they all stayed at the there. hotel. They all did. Yeah. But we, um, we've got it cleaned out. We've talked to the African-American Museum and the Kentucky Museum, and they've done a walkthrough of it. And we plan to donate all of those artifacts to them. So then those professional pre- preservationists can continue telling the story of Shake Rag. And we will be accepting proposals from private developers of what they would like to see happen to that Southern Queen Hotel. Is it going to come back to life as the Southern Queen Hotel and function once again with its eight rooms and tell this story? Will it be affordable housing? Will it be who knows? So um, here next month, we're going to try to get the proposal process rolling and that will be like shared publicly and anyone can submit proposals for what they like to do. And then the city will give it to them for a dollar. And, you know, we're not netting profit on this or anything. It's just about preserving the, the jewel of the Shake Rag district to just try to keep it from falling in. And that's what I've been up to this week. I felt like some real Nancy Drew stuff was going on. Just trying to, you know, look for hidden spaces, make sure all the rooms are clear. We had a a dumb waiter um, that they had blocked up and stopped using as a dumb waiter where, you know, guests on the top floor had these little bells they could ring in their room. And then the the kitchen on the, the first floor could send up items to the second floor through the dumbwaiter instead of having someone carrying them up. And um, we realized that there was a, a boarded up area that the dumbwaiter had just been turned into a closet on the second floor. And mm-hmm. some of the boards were loose and we pulled them off and realized that was full of stuff down there. So we, yeah. <laughs> we we would have not even noticed it and someone may have stumbled upon it later. But finding finding those items in there that were true pieces of people's past and the memories because history is just a collective memory of all of us and all these people that are in history books are just were normal people like us and they were just doing extraordinary things or great or some really terrible things but it's been heartwarming to see the the city and, and community kind of come come to life as this process is happening because so many people have commented oh i remember nancy's tea room i remember going there after school i did this yeah and it's heartwarming but the other have said it's just so sad because a lot of the history was lost after that near 20 years of being vacant and neglected yeah. so we're, we're doing what we can and hope that the shake rag community and the the folks in town who are all about history will do their best to help us continue telling those stories well it's you know you've we've kind of gone through all of my questions here even without asking them um, <laughs> sorry which, about that no, that that's perfect <laughs> that, that saves me time uh, but I think the the key point here is you know we're this podcast is more about business and economic development but there's there's a tie-in to all this because we got to have people coming into the city uh, patronizing our restaurants and our businesses and you know exploring the history and spending money at the hotels and and doing all the the things that help 
uh, create jobs and create economic opportunity for, you know, not only Bowling Green, but Warren County and the region as a whole. Because, um, you know, even though Bowling Green's sort of the hub of this 10 county area, um, what's good for Bowling Green is good for everybody else that, that's in our region. And so we appreciate the work that you're doing. And I'm glad the city had the, the foresight uh, to create this position. Uh, because, you know, there are a lot of good things. And, and you know, I, I'm big on the music history of Bowling Green. I think there's a, an opportunity there. And I know there's some some things in the works with the Kentucky Museum. And uh, I know we, we have talked about a, 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 a music trail in, the, in downtown Bowling Green, you know. But you go to the uh, train depot, there's a nice historic marker there uh, honoring uh, Ernest Hogan, who mm-hmm. was the, the father of, mm-hmm. of ragtime. And um, is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And uh, if you look real close at that marker, you'll see who who donated it. Oh. Ah, I, I've stumped the history. <laughs> Skip Bond the Fugitives. Oh, they did. Yeah. I, I didn't know that. Yeah. I'm so sorry. I just knew you Ernest know? was the father of Ragtime. And then, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, the, the father of Newgrass is from, from Bowling Green. Oh, you know, Sam, Sam, yes. Sam Bush. Yes. And, of course, we had that. Uh, designated by law and and, and statute at, at the state level, uh, so awesome. we designated Bowling Green as the the birthplace of of Newgrass and Sam Bush is the father of Newgrass, and he came up and we had a big time with that. So you know a lot of history with the the, the people that have played here and have been here over the years. So it, you know that that alone brings people to town to, to be a part of this. So real quick. What's going to happen with this music trail or, or anything? I, I want to know. <laughs> okay. So, well, there's, there have been, like you said, conversations about it in this group and this group and this group for years. And do I have a perfect answer for you? No. Okay. I, I, I do. I do know, though, alongside the Kentucky Museum's um, music new exhibit that is coming, they have a great website for it already. But mm-hmm. with all the, the money the Visitors Bureau is given to the museum to curate this on-site, in-person exhibit, there is another group that is working with Arts of Southern Kentucky on a public art kind of, not even a public art trail, just a public art group mm-hmm. seeking opportunities for downtown locations that connect downtown to the river and downtown to the university and there is an element of music appreciation in there and there's probably about a dozen of them between mike buchanan and gary ransdell Mm -hmm. and more of more more of that group they they are um naming local naming locations that are opportunity zones for it and then contacting some potential donors yeah, and like, like the old Mar- mariah's was picasso's back in the, the, the day picasso's <laughs> kenny lee loved picasso's yeah yeah and kenny, <laughs> and so kenny lee smith if you get a chance talk to him about the history of, of yes. bowling green music because he yes if he, he remembers and he was there well so. and when when the city uh, redid the morris alley space mm-hmm. between tidballs and the square um it, it is supposed to be a guitar string when you look up you'll notice a certain chord being played on the guitar based on the strings that are running across it and how they land but it is that is there signage designating that right now no but can there be sure yes yeah that's what i'm here for okay well super (laughs) well uh did i leave anything out 
just um, if you want to keep up with everything going on downtown, I encourage everyone to um, visit our website. It's bgkydowntown.org. You can sign up for the monthly newsletter that I put out that shares what new businesses are coming downtown and where they're going, what new events are coming up downtown and where they're going. That's where you're going to find all the Duncan Hines Days information, the big Harvest Fest and Downtown Lights Up information, and a new holiday event coming soon that I will announce hopefully in the next couple months. All right. Um, And then follow us on social media, too. We're Downtown BGKY on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, and uh, I try to post something there at least two or three times a week we're pretty active we share stories of downtown businesses and characters and milestones and uh, i got lucky because i got the city to change their social media policy so that i could share those because a lot of these businesses are so private the the city can't technically promote a private business but as the downtown entity if you got to tell a destination story you got to say where the destination is and who's there sure and we'll put those links uh, in our in our notes in our show notes thank you click on us. Thanks for being on the podcast. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. A big thank you to Talia Butler, the head of the Downtown Development Division for the City of Bowling Green, for joining us on this episode of the DeCesare Group Podcast. And thank you for tuning in. For more updates on economic development and business news in South Central Kentucky, be sure to subscribe to our newsletter, Soki Economic Development and Business News, at thedeCesareGroup.com, and connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to stay in the loop. Today's program was brought to you by the DeCesare Group, your go-to full-service business consulting, development, and public relations firm. Behind the scenes, we have our talented engineer, Justin I Love History DeCesare, and valuable content contributions from Brooke Mattingly and Amy DeCesare. Remember to download the DeCesare Group podcast on your favorite platform to hear engaging discussions with industry and business leaders and experts on the latest economic activities in South Central Kentucky. Until next time, I'm your host, Jim. Jim DeCesare.